Hello everyone, welcome back to Legends of Surgery. I'm your host, Tyler Rouse. Today we're going to cover one of the big names in the history of cardiac or heart surgery, Dr. Alfred Blaylock, and his most famous operation to help what were called blue babies, and I'll explain that in a minute. But maybe of even greater interest is the bittersweet story of his assistant, Vivian Thomas, an African-American with no formal training, who did much of the work behind his discoveries, and remained an unsung hero for many years due to institutional racism. His story is intricately weaved with Blaylock, so let's delve into it in this episode of Legends of Surgery. Let's begin by setting the table and understanding what problem we're dealing with. The entity that led to Blaylock's fame is called the Tetralogy of Fallot. Tetralogy comes from the Greek tetra, meaning four, and logos, often used in names of science or knowledge, like as in biology, or like in this case to end a noun. The word tetralogy originally referred to sets of four plays, three tragedies and a comedy, performed serially on the stages of Athens in ancient Greece. Same idea as a trilogy, which we're all probably more familiar with. Tetralogy of Fallot is a congenital, meaning something present at birth, defect of the heart, involving four problems. In the simplest terms, these are one, a hole between the lower chambers of the heart, called an interventricular septal defect, two, an obstruction from the heart to the lungs, called stenosis of the pulmonary artery. Three, the aorta, which is the big blood vessel that takes blood from the heart to the body, lying over the hole in the lower chambers, called aorta overriding the septum. And four, the muscles surrounding the lower right chamber becoming overly thickened, which is called right ventricular hypertrophy. Although first described in 1671 by Niels Stenson, a Danish scientist, it's named after the French physician Dr. Etienne Louis Arthur Fallot, who further described the condition in 1888. So Tetralogy of Fallot causes low oxygen in the blood because of mixing of oxygenated and deoxygenated blood in the heart and poor flow of blood to the lungs. Because of this low blood oxygen, the babies often turn cyanotic or blue, hence blue babies. This can often occur during what are called tet spells, often during crying or feeding. Now untreated, this defect causes a 30% mortality rate in the first two years of life and 50% by six years. Fewer than 5-10% to 10 of patients survive to the end of their second decade. Now, however, these defects can be surgically repaired definitively with a less than 3% mortality, providing a good long-term survival with an excellent quality of life. But prior to the 1950s, no one had ever attempted any kind of surgery to provide any relief to these children. That is, until Dr. Alfred Braylock and Vivian Thomas. So Blaylock, born in 1899, was from Georgia and went to medical school at Johns Hopkins. He finished his surgical training at Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee. He actually graduated in the middle of his class and was known more for his interest in socializing than studying, which may have cost him a residency position at Hopkins. But he cleaned up his act during his surgical training and began to concentrate on the surgical research laboratory. And it was here that fate intervened as he looked to hire a new lab assistant. Now let's talk about Vivian Thomas. Born in Louisiana in 1910, he grew up wanting to become a doctor, and up until 1930, that was his plan, initially starting with Tennessee State College. But the Depression wiped out his life savings and dried up the carpentry work he had been doing to save up for school. A friend of his, who worked at Vanderbilt University, told him about a lab assistant job for a young doctor there named Alfred Blaylock. He started work in Blaylock's animal lab on February 10, 1930. At their first meeting, they each laid out what they wanted from the other. Vivian wanted a job. Alfred needed someone in the lab whom I can teach to do anything I can do and maybe do things I can't do. Each got what they wanted. 
Within a month, Vivian was setting up experiments and performing surgery on his own. There is an anecdote about early in their relationship where Vivian made a mistake and Alfred went off on him. Here's Vivian's description of it. Quote, Dr. Blaylock sounded off like a child throwing a temper tantrum. The profanity he used would have made the proverbial sailor proud of him. I told him he could just pay me off, that I had not been brought up to take or use that kind of language. He apologized, saying he lost his temper, that he would watch his language, and he asked me to go back to work. End quote. Vivian credits this event as setting the stage for their collaboration based on mutual respect that allowed them to accomplish so much. Now, their initial collaboration was on Blaylock's work on hemorrhagic shock. At the time, the theory of shock was that it was due to a release of toxins, but Blaylock theorized that it was caused by fluid loss from the intravascular, meaning within the blood vessels, space. To test this hypothesis, he and Thomas studied the effects of using plasma or whole blood transfusions to overcome the blood loss on experimental animals, an advance that seems obvious now, but at the time was a major step forward and was considered crucial in saving many lives during World War II. In 1937, Blaylock received an offer of the chairmanship from Henry Ford Hospital in Detroit, a chance to run his own department, train his own men, and expand his research. But they wouldn't take on Vivian, stating that the hospital's policy on hiring blacks was inflexible. Blaylock politely replied that his policy on Vivian Thomas was too, and they didn't go to Detroit. Now, it's been said that the most exciting phrase in science is not Eureka, but rather, that's funny. Blaylock and Thomas had turned their attention to vascular experiments, trying to produce pulmonary hypertension, which is high blood pressure in the vessels of the lungs, in dogs. The studies were, in Vivian's words, a flop. Their failure, though, would come in handy later, but we'll get back to that in a minute. In 1940, Blaylock's growing reputation as a researcher landed him an offer to return to his alma mater, Johns Hopkins, as surgeon-in-chief. He brought Vivian with him, and the move to the old Hunterian laboratory was an eye-opener. The lab was in shambles, requiring Vivian to order equipment, clean and paint the lab, and restart their work. And the move to Baltimore did not improve Vivian's social situation. Even at Hopkins, there were segregated restrooms and a back entrance for black patients. And although he got a salary increase, living costs were much higher, a problem amazingly solved by a generous donation from Dr. Walter Dandy, a world-renowned neurosurgeon who made a donation to the department that was earmarked for Thomas's salary. So now we get to the beginning of the story of their most famous collaboration, the story of the Blue Babies. And the question that led to their work actually came from someone else. Dr. Helen Tossig, a Hopkins cardiologist, wondered if there was a way to, quote, change the pipes around, end quote, to bring more blood to the lungs of the babies that she was seeing that would become weak and blue at birth. When she posed the question to Blaylock and Thomas, they just looked at each other in the immediate realization that their failed experiments, which I described earlier, held the answer to this problem. As you remember, they had sewn a major artery, in this case the subclavian artery, to the pulmonary artery, which brings blood to the lungs, in an unsuccessful attempt to create pulmonary hypertension. The next step was for Thomas to recreate Tetralogy of Fallot in an animal model. Starting at the Pathology Museum, Thomas studied its collection of tiny defective infant hearts. They started their work in 1943, and after a year, a little patient came along that pushed them to attempt the repair on a human. Eileen Saxon was born with Tetralogy of Fallot. At 15 months, she weighed only 9 pounds and was confined to an oxygen tent in the infant ward of Johns Hopkins. At the bedside, Blaylock announced that he would attempt the operation on her, a controversial move that many felt was too risky, calling Blaylock a maverick. Thomas had to improvise much of the equipment necessary from his lab equipment. On November 29, 1944, 
little Eileen was wheeled into the operating room. Now, initially, Thomas wasn't present, thinking that he would be unwanted and might make Blaylock nervous. But Blaylock refused to start the operation without Thomas literally looking over his shoulder, standing on a step stool, and helping to guide him through the surgery. He unscrubbed and went frantically looking for him. Think about that. A lab assistant without a medical degree guiding the hands of a famous surgeon performing a world's first operation. And in an interesting twist of history, the intern present at the surgery was none other than Denton Cooley, who would go on to become a world-renowned cardiac surgeon, and who also just recently passed away at the age of 92. So the procedure carried on, with Blaylock confirming with Thomas throughout to ensure he was performing the correct steps, until the clamps came off the connected blood vessels, and in dramatic fashion, Eileen Saxon turned pink. The operation wound up prolonging her life for a few months, but she became cyanotic again and died after an attempted redo operation. But operating room 706 almost instantly became famously known as the heart room, and blue babies from all over the U.S. came to undergo what became known as the Blaylock-Tausig shunt, and Thomas continued in his position, prepping patients, doing blood tests, and watching over the professor as he performed his miracle surgeries. And amazingly, the respect that the residents training under Blaylock had for Thomas even outshone the respect they had for the professor. Here in Denton Cooley's own words, quote, Dr. Blaylock was a great scientist, a great thinker, a leader, but by no stretch of the imagination could he be considered a great cutting surgeon. Vivian was, end quote. And he also said, quote, Even if you'd never seen surgery before, you could do it because Vivian made it look so simple. There wasn't a false move, not a wasted motion when he operated, end quote. Despite the limited success with Eileen, the operation was a huge success in the children that followed, and in 1950, six years after the first Blue Baby, Blaylock operated on Blue Baby 1000. The operation, known as the Blaylock-Tausig shunt, came from a paper they wrote in 1945 in the Journal of the American Medical Association, which summarized their experience with the first three cases, which is available for free online for the more curious listener. This shunt is still used today in a modified form, using artificial material to make the shunt, typically for complex cases that can't have an early definitive repair, buying them time to grow some more. Blaylock and Tausig shot to fame, traveling the world demonstrating the surgery, without Vivian, and receiving numerous awards. And an interesting side note, they were nominated over 40 times for the Nobel Prize, but never won. To learn more about surgeons that did win, check out Podcast 28. At this point, you may have noticed a pattern in the fact that Vivian's name did not appear in any of these discoveries. In fact, his name was not included in any of the papers written about the operation, nor did he receive any credit or even appear in any publicity photos, a shameful example of the sort of built-in racism in society at the time. Now, it's worth taking a moment or two now to follow Vivian's story and consider his relationship with Blaylock. During most of his time in Blaylock's lab, he was paid very poorly. In fact, Vivian was actually classified as a janitor at Vanderbilt until Alfred intervened and got him a pay raise. He had to take on part-time work marketing medical supplies to family doctors in Baltimore, even sometimes working as a bartender at Blaylock's parties, serving drinks to junior doctors that he'd been teaching earlier that day. But professionally, he continued to thrive, acting as director of Hunterian Surgical Laboratories and running the popular animal surgery course. In fact, his skill in operating on animals became so well-known that local veterinarians would send complicated cases to him, and he was permitted to run an animal clinic after hours out of the lab. The true mark of his impact on the education of the surgical residents at Hopkins can be seen in some of the honors that he received later in his career. In 1971, the Old Hands Club, which was a group of former Johns Hopkins surgical residents, 
commissioned a portrait of him. In 1976, he received an honorary degree from Johns Hopkins, which was actually an honorary doctor of laws, not medicine, but allowed the residents to call him doctor. In 2005, when Johns Hopkins started splitting first-year students into four colleges, one was named after him. Vivian actually wrote an autobiography called Partners of the Heart, Vivian Thomas and His Work with Alfred Blaylock, which was published days after his death in 1985 from pancreatic cancer. And a movie about their collaboration called Something the Lord Made, and I'll explain the title in a minute, starring Alan Rickman as Blaylock and Moss Def as Vivian came out in 2004. I watched it, and it's actually really good. Blaylock retired in 1964, by that time in poor health, dying of ureteral cancer and wearing a back brace due to a disc operation, barely able to stand. He passed away three months later. One of his greatest regrets was not sending Vivian to medical school, but in the end he certainly achieved the fame that he never sought out and contributed to medicine and surgery in a profound way that may not have been available to him as a black physician at the time. A famous quote seems like the right way to end, as it sums up not only Thomas's sublime skill, but the respect with which Blaylock held his colleague. Thomas had conceived of an experiment to fix a surgical problem that we'll actually tackle in the next episode, but suffice it to say for now, the idea was to create a defect in the wall between the two atria or upper chambers of the heart, a solution that Blaylock had been searching for but couldn't figure out. While looking at the healed incision, running his finger back and forth in silent awe at the flawless work, Blaylock asked, Vivian, are you sure you did this? After Thomas confirmed that he indeed had, Blaylock said, Well, this looks like something the Lord made. Today, Thomas and Blaylock's pictures hang beside each other in the halls of Johns Hopkins, a fitting tribute to a man who, although never having a medical degree, has truly earned his place to be counted among the legends of surgery. Well, that wraps up another episode of Legends of Surgery. I hope you enjoyed it. Next time, we will continue with the theme of congenital heart abnormalities, this time looking at something called transposition of the great vessels. The surgery for it was pioneered by a Canadian surgeon, Dr. William Mustard, but the first to perform it, and for whom the operation is named, is the Brazilian surgeon, Dr. Adib Domingos Jatin. Please rate the podcast on iTunes and leave a comment there, or follow me on Twitter at Surgery Legends, like us on Facebook at Legends of Surgery, or send an email to legendsofsurgery at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you about your thoughts on this podcast or ideas for future episodes. And as always, thanks for listening.